Okay, we're learning Daf Pevav. We're going to start reading inside from the very top line of Pevav Amral, but it's really right in the flow of the Gemara that we started yesterday. So let's just go over uh, the basic point to get the, back into the flow of the Sugya here. We have a woman in the Mishnah, a wife, who is declaring a neder that uh, all of her handiwork is going to be forbidden to her husband. And while she's married, anyways, all the handiwork is obligated. It's owed to her husband. So it's not really, it's not really hers that she could uh, restrict it and forbid it to her husband. So one time it says, yeah, the husband doesn't have to bother revoking the vow. There's no need for him because anyways, the, now, the vow can't take effect. Rabbi Akiva says, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yochum Nuri is the person of focus. Rabbi Yochum Nuri says that the husband should revoke it. Why? Because even though the nether is not effective now, but it will become effective after a divorce. Because after a divorce, the handiwork will no longer be obligated to her husband. At that point, that new handiwork that comes after the divorce will now take effect. And uh, if the husband had not revoked the vow now, then, then it will be restricting him. And then if he chooses to want to remarry her, he wants to say, okay, actually, I regret divorce. Let's get back together. He won't be able to because this, this strong restrictive nadir doesn't allow him to benefit from this woman's handiwork. So therefore, you should revoke it now just in case it will be a divorce and therefore the nadir will not, will not be there then. So the Gemara noted that the Amora Shmuel Paskans like Rabbi Yochanan Manure. Which, which seems to tell us a principle that a person can be makdish davish olam. A person can affect the consecration upon something which is not yet in existence. Because here, there's really two reasons it's not in existence. First of all, the, the, uh, the, 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 the handiwork hasn't been produced. It hasn't been done. She hasn't done the labor yet. And number two is that the divorce, the whole thing is that it's going to take effect after the divorce, but that's not now. Right? It's all about after the divorce at a later point. That's not now. So if it's all about the later subsequent divorce, so then, so then, uh, so that's the Abishalobalol. So it would seem to be from Rabbi Yochanan Menuri, from his statement, is that a person could affect a consecration upon a Abishalobalol. Now we noted that that's a steer to something else that Shmuel said. Because Shmuel elsewhere talk, talk, spoke about a husband who was being makdish, some of his wife's stuff on the possibility that he would inherit her after he would die. He was consecrating it to the base of Mekdash. And there we paskin, Shmuel Paskins, that we paskin like a Tanar Bilchim Asantala, the consecration is not valid because it was Lobala Olam at that time. You know, the husband didn't have that handiwork in his possession to be Makdash. So essentially, what it came down to is a contradiction whether a person can affect the transaction when it's not yet in existence. Here by Nadarim, we're ruling, like, like Rabbi Bilchim during the Mishnah, that a person could affect the consecration upon something that's not yet here. But in the case where the husband was, was, was sanctifying, was donating to the Vesa Mikdash, the future things he would inherit from his wife, were saying that uh, he cannot affect it because it's not in existence. So we ran around in circles. We tried for a moment to say that maybe the Dharma are different because you don't need ownership of it. But we realized that didn't really get us any, anywhere because you, you don't need ownership. But that's only in a case where you're offering it to yourself. I could offer my friend's fruits to myself, but I can't ask her if I'm Ruven, I can't say that Shimon's fruits are also on Levi. That I can't do. So that's essentially what I'm doing here is that the wife is uh, saying the future handiwork, which is not yet here, so she's not the owner of it, should be also on the husband. That's the equivalent of anything of saying that Ruvain saying that Shimon's fruit should be answered to Levi. So that didn't work out at all. So then the Gemara tried to say, well, maybe we could say it's not that she was Maktish the handiwork. She didn't say I'm being Maktish my mind, dime. She says, I'm, I'm being Maktish my hands. I'm being Maktish the hands themselves. So the Gemara said, well, still, that doesn't help because it's, 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 about, it's, it's about the fact that right now, even if she's being Maktish her hands for their handiwork, fine, you explain that lumdus. It's not on the future handiwork, it's on the hands. Even if you buy that, but it's still only after Gershon, so it's still not yet in existence because right now her hands are owed to her husband. So again, there's two real reasons why it's low below them. It's not in existence because she hasn't done anything with the hands. And number two, it's because it's not before Gershon. So okay, you can address the first point by saying that it's on her hands, but what about the second point that it's before the Gershon? So the Gemara said, well, maybe she said, she says my hands handiwork 
should be also to you after the Gershon. Says the Gemara, it doesn't help to say it. It's not a question of saying it. It's a question of ability to, to, to forbid it. She could say from here till tomorrow, she could use those words. I'm being ushering my hands for their handiwork that they'll produce the Acher of the Gershon. But at the end of the day, that right now is not something that's, which is in existence. So if it's not something which is in existence, then how can it work? So after going over all that, we now are at the point where we're trying to figure out how her statement would be binding after divorce which is the way now we're going back to Rabbi Yochum Anuri's advice that Shmuel Paskin's like that the husband should be made for. So we're starting now. Amr of Elah. Rabbi Elah is going to give us an answer. He's going to help us understand why if the woman said, my hands are becoming usher for the hand, on you for the handiwork that they'll produce Acher Gerishin, why that is in effect effective and it's not Lobal Ola. Amr of Elah. He gives an analogy. Everything today is going to be about comparing our case to other cases. So he says, he gives an analogy. Somebody says to his friend, Here I am selling you this field. Currently it's owned, let's give some names. Currently it's owned by Ruvain. Ruvain is selling it to Shimon. Ruvain says, I'm selling you the field now, but let me tell you something. When I buy it back later at some point in life from you, I want it to become consecrated. So he can't control that. But what he's saying, Shimon, is now I'm making a sale to you. Done. If I would ever buy this back from you and it re-enters my possession, I want it to be consecrated to God. That's what he says. What would, you, would the halacha be if that eventually plays out and he does purchase the field back from Shimon? Would it become consecrated? Would that be a lobal olam or would that be a bal olam? Milo kacha, the analogy says, use your brain. Certainly the halacha is, it should be consecrated. Why, why? How am I supposed to figure that out? The pshad is, is because what does it mean I'm being Let's contrast it. I say your field, not the field that I'm selling you. If I would say your field, if I ever buy it from you, it should become consecrated. That's a, double, that's not, that's a matter that's not in existence yet. It's not in your possession now. What are you saying? If it hypothetically, maybe down the line, I'll buy it, it'll become kadosh. But what's the field got to do with you now? You don't have any ownership of the field. You don't have any ownership of the field. That's textbook. But here, you're making the Misa Hektish at a time when you own it. You're the owner now. You're saying, as you're selling it, what are you saying? I'm selling it now, but if I buy it back, then it should go to Shammai. So you're actually making the Maisa Hektish on something that you have by you now. Happens to be you're giving it away, but you're saying if it comes back, oh, it should become a Chadosh. Rabbi Elo's point is that we don't consider that a Davosh Shalom Since the moment that you're making the Maisa Hektish, it's under your control. Therefore, we say, we say that, that, that you could be mocked for a future time, even if that hypothetical time is not yet in existence. So what does he want back? So that's the same thing with the hands. Why? What's the point that we're saying? The, during, in the moment that she's saying it, it's true. Her, her hands are under the jurisdiction on the husband. But let's think about it. In a certain regard, a woman's hands are always by her. That's the point. That's the point that we're saying. It's not a lobala olam because whether or not her hands are obligated for their work during the duration of her marriage, but she always technically is the owner of her hands. She's always got her hands. So the Gemara is saying that's no different than someone who's selling a field to someone else and says, when I buy it back, it should become consecrated. That's lobala olam because now they have the core field by themselves. Even though they're getting rid of it, even though it's becoming owed to the other person as the transaction happens, but they could say, hypothetically, if I buy it back, it should become consecrated. So to here, she's her hands. Her hands are hers. So even if they're obligated, they're owed, they're due to her husband throughout the duration of the marriage, it's not lobalolam for her to speak about what her hands will be hypothetically down the future. Down the future. That's the idea, the point which we are making now, B'Shem Rabila. So therefore, we're at a good place. In other words, we think that it should take effect. However, your analogy to the field is no good. There, in the moment that he is selling the field, in the moment that he's selling the field, what's happening? He could also just back out and be Makdashit, right? That was, he happens to be selling it, but he could also very well not, not sell it and just be Makdashit. So he says, 
the field that I'm selling, if I buy Kadosh, you're right, that's Lobal Olam. That's Bal Olam, I'm sorry. But Isha, do you really think it's within her power now to consecrate her earnings now while she's married? Meaning, I understand conceptually her hands are hers. But in the moment now, when she is making this nether, her hands are completely obligated to her husband. Yes, essentially, they are her hands. True point. Objectively, you're right. Her hands are her hands, just they're owed to her husband now. But practically, since they're owed to her husband now, she has no control over her handiwork. She has no control over what her hands produce now. It all goes to her husband. So it's very different than the analogy. In the analogy, in the case that we're talking about with the field, in the moment that you say it, you could also just be maktashit. That's a true fact. Happens to be you're selling it and saying that if I wanted to, that if I get it back, it should become kadosh. There, that's bala olam. That, that hektish takes effect. Here, in the moment that she says it, she has no jurisdiction over what her hands produce. It all goes to her husband. Yes, essentially, her hands are always hers. That's a true objective point, but it doesn't help us. In the moment that she's making the nether, she's married and she has no control over what happens to her handiwork. So if you want to compare it to anything, so in other words, what's Rav Yirmiya saying? It's back shver. It is really a problem of lobala olam in our case. Hello, Domin, he says, I'll show you that I'm right. It's actually comparable to a case. Oh, somebody says to his friend, this field that I already sold to you. Meaning Ruven sold the field to Shimon a month ago. Sold him a field, no strings attached. Now he comes over to Shimon and he says, by the way, the field that I used to own, that I sold to you, remember that field? If I buy it from you, it should become Kadosh. What would you say there? Is that Bala Olam? Is that below Bala Olam? He's saying it at a time after it has already been sold. In that case, clearly, me Kacha, do you think there's any possibility it's going to become Kadosh? Obviously, the answer is resounding no. It's different than the case as you're saying it while you're selling it. Why is it different? Because when you say it while you're selling it, right now, if you'd like to be Makdashit, you could. So even though you're not, you're selling it, but you're stipulating that if it comes back to it, you become Kadosh. So you're stipulating on something that you have jurisdiction over. But if I sell it a month ago, and now I go and I say, when I buy it back from you, it should become Kaddish, I'm, I'm making my hectic over something I have no jurisdiction. Our case with a wife being Makdash or Maisei Yadayim after Gershin is more comparable to the case where someone sold it a month ago and is now stipulating when it comes back that it should become Kaddish, where we say it's lobal olam, it's not in existence and it doesn't take effect. So therefore, we're back to a hard place. We think the case with the wife and her hands should be lobal olam. So the Gemara says, well, the truth is, your analogy, trying to say it's, it's, not, it's no good, is also in, imprecise. Why? You write that it's really like that case. When I sell something, it's over. If I have a field that I sold a month ago to Shimon, yeah, it's past, it's history. I have nothing with that field anymore. Once I sell a field, it's gone. So now the, all the rights to everything, the, the karka itself, the produce, the title, the deed, and the, the usage, everything went over to Shimon. So I go over to him and say, the field that I used to own, he looks at me, he's like, the field that you used to own, that, that's yesterday. Today I'm the owner. What are you talking about my field for? So that's clearly a hypothetical scenario. Oh, down the line, maybe I'll get it back. That, 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 can, that cannot take effect. But by the woman, is it not, is it absolute? What do we mean is it absolute? What we're trying to say is, yes, the, own, the husband has rights to her earnings, but her hands always remain in her possessions. That's the key. What's the lumdus of that? The hands remain in her possessions. The lumdus is, is that there's always in halacha two ways of looking at something. The property itself, like the deed, like who is the essential owner of the thing, the intrinsic thing, and who has the right to use them? Who has the right for all of what they produce? So in the case where I sell a field, it's not just I'm selling you the right of usage. I'm selling you the property. It's there. That's some intrinsic property belongs to you. It's part of... 
It's, a, it's, a, it's its own new asset that, moved, that changed over. There's Lova Lola if I try to make a transaction on it once I already sold it. But here by the hands, the woman always owns her hands. There's no idea you get married, you lose your hands. That's not what it is. She owns her hands. The usage of her hands, what the hands produce, that is owed that is owned, so to speak, to her husband. But the Gemara is saying, since the Gufa Yadayim always remained by the woman, it's not considered Lobal Olam. Listen to the fascinating Sfar. The reason why it's such a good Sfar is that, the, what's the point of Lobal Olam? The point of Lobal Olam, and hopefully these Sfars will settle more with this site, is that I can't affect a transaction on something that I don't have jurisdiction over. That's the idea. And why not? The Rishonim explained, because in my mind, I can't develop that smichas Das, that clarity, that confidence, the conviction in my mind, X, Y, and Z, when right now I don't have that control. It's a hypothetical that I'm speaking about. Hypothetically, if I buy a field from you, what would become of it? Right, right now, it's not my field. I don't, I don't have the, the requisite das to make that effect. But here, the point here is, is that the woman's speaking about her hands. Currently, she has her hands. It's true. There's like a, a freeze on the usage of her hands that everything that she produces now goes to her husband. But she has her hands. So when she speaks about what her hands will produce after divorce, that then they will become Oscar and her husband, then it could take effect. Because she's relating to something now that she has jurisdiction over. There's a freeze on its usage that it's owed to her husband. That's true. But she's speaking about something that is by her. She's speaking about her hands. And therefore, it's considered perhaps balola. And we, we push it back to the analogy. This is actually comparable to a case you said to his friend. Someone says to his friend, This field that I've made to you as a mashko. Consecrated when I redeem it from you. So what's a what does this mean a mashkon? So basically, somebody's borrowing land. This is borrowing money, and the the malva, the one, the creditor who lent him the money, he's very nervous. So what happens is, is that the lova, the debtor, is giving him land that the malva takes possession over, and he actually uses. He eats the fruits during that time because it gives him the security. And then obviously you're gonna know, hey, it's not interest. You know, malva lends him hundred bucks and he uses the field duration of time, and then he gets back hundred bucks. That's textbook rivets, right? So you learn above Mitzia all about that. It's very complicated how the mashkanta works. You have to assess how much the the value of the fruit is. But what it does is that it gives the malva security. So imagine the Lova says to the Malva, this field that I pledge to you as a security, and, and, and at any moment, of course, if I go and repay the debt, I can take it back. It's just a security. It's not like I sold it to you. That field, when I redeem it back, it should become Kaddish. Imagine he said that. Would that be balolam or balolam? In the moment right now, he didn't yet redeem it back. It's right for whose usage right now? The Malva's usage. So it's lobalolam. Oh, when I go ahead and get it back. But on the other hand, and this is the truth, it's not a problem of lobalolam. Why? Because it really, the field belongs to who? It really belongs to the Lova. It belongs to the debtor. He's just giving it in the moment to use to the Malva as a security for the loan. But whose field is it? The field is not owned by the Malva, the field is owned by the Lova. Therefore, when the Lova makes this statement, he says, this field that I've given to you as a pledge, when I redeem it, I want it to become Kaddish, you would say it's Bala that transaction. It's fine and it's valid when he, when, when he redeems it, it will go. So we're saying, if anything, the wife being Maktish, her hands for their handiwork, for what they'll produce, that's more like that because the hands are always owned by her. But says the Gemara, that's, you pushed it too far. This is an amazing give and take. The Gemara is saying, that's your analogy, you pushed it too far. Over there, you know what the Lova can do? It's in his power, it's in his hands. Why? Because at any moment he could go redeem it. If the Lova wants his field back, at any moment to use, you know what he has to do? 
Just pay back the debt and the field is his. So since it's within his control at any moment to get back the field's usage, that's taka bala olam. It's in existence. It's not some future hypothetical scenario. Oh, when I'll go and I, I will redeem it. Because that redemption is always in his power to make happen. Isha be adalis garish. In the case of the woman who's being mocked with her hands for the handiwork after she's divorced, she can't dictate the terms of divorce. It's not up to her to decide. It's only up to the husband to decide. So that is a future hypothetical. Maybe even though she owns her hands. True point. But the fact that the usage of her hands is not right now for her, and she has no control over when she will get it back, she, her husband may decide to divorce her, her husband may not decide to divorce her, therefore it's low lo And we push an analogy for that, of course. Someone said to his friend, If someone said here, it's a very different term of a pledge. The pledge is, it's a mashkun. He said, for 10 years, the cocker is going to be by you. So the lova gets him some term of, you know, of like long-term investment. And the malva is very nervous. So the lova here gives a much stronger deal to the malva. He says, this field is for you for 10 years of usage. So it's a set duration of time where no matter what, the field's usage is going to remain by the malva. Different type of mashkun. So in this case... I have no control to go redeem it at any moment and take it away, only after the 10 years are up. So what would be if he'd say, right now, while it's pledged to the other person, this field that I pledge you for 10 years, which become consecrated when I redeem it, would it not be consecrated? And in other words, and what would the halacha be? What's the point the Gemara is saying? You can't redeem it. And the Gemara is trying to figure out what would the halacha, what would the halacha be? That would be, whatever would be there, would be over here by the wife's nether. Because she's going to reacquire her hands, but she has no control over it, necessarily. Whatever the halacha would be there, the halacha would be here. That's the point of the Gemara. And since she doesn't have the control, we're nervous that it's really low balola. But the Gemara says, again challenging it, Maskavaravashi, you pushed it too far. Because you're trying to say, just as in the case where you pledge it for 10 years, it would not become kadosh. So to a year, because you don't have control to get it back. So too with the woman in her hands, it wouldn't be kadosh. Midami is a really good comparison. Awesome capes. There it's a fixed amount of time. Meaning during that, those 10 years, there's no power to redeem it. Ha'cha isha mi is like susa. In the case of the woman, is there a fixed limit until her hands, until she's going to get back her hands? What's our point? Meaning to say, yes, she doesn't control it. But the idea is there's no, there's no time. We have no idea. The husband may never divorce her. So what's the idea we're saying? When it's the 10 years, on the one end, you're right. There's no control to get it back in the 10 years. But at least after the 10 years, you will get it back. So what the Gemara now is saying is like this. Even if in the 10-year case, you'll say it's, it's, it's bal olam because eventually it will go back. That's all because there's a built-in time frame. It's only 10 years. By the case of the Isha, by the case of the woman, a divorce could be not, we don't know. It, it's possible it's going to happen. We don't know. And since it's a complete unknown, there's no time. There's no, sometimes you're sitting in traffic, but you know when it's over, right? So you deal with that. But if you're just sitting there, you don't know, you might be there forever. So then your das is everywhere. So that's the same point that the Gemara is saying over here. Even if you would conclude in the case of the field that maybe that's Bala because you were the owner of the field and it's only that you pledged it for 10 years, even though you can't control getting it back for 10 years. For that 10 years, it's out. But I'll call upon him one thing is true. At some point, the field's coming back to you. You're the essential owner of the field and at some, at some point, the usage of the field is going to come back. Therefore, your Maisa Hakdash is considered Bala In our case, the woman, her hands, yes, she has the Gufa Yadayim, but the usage of the hands is out of her control, out of her possession. When is it coming back? Maybe it will, maybe it won't, maybe it will. That's below, below Olam. So after all is said and done, what just happened? We spent an omen of Gemara realizing that we didn't accomplish one thing. 
we're back and stuck. We, we have a question. We're passing on Rebbeuchon a manure year that the husband should revoke it because it will be chal acher gerushin l'chayr. That's lo balolam. Even if she's being makdish her hands, and even if she says for after the gerushin, and even though she's the owner of her hands essentially, but she doesn't have the rights of usage now. So there, and she doesn't know when the divorce is happening. So it should be lo balolam. So therefore, the Gemara gives us a different conclusion, a very change, a change of comparing it to fields. Top of the Amid base. El Ravashi, rather Ravashi tells us. You're asking a stira about the regular rules of consecrating something from the laws of Nidarim. Shani konamos, konamos, which remember is the slang for Nidarim. Nidarim are different. The chikidushas haguftami. It's like something which gets inherent sanctification, meaning it's the status that happens to it. It's not like Stam, you're donating something to the base of Mikdash. It becomes like a carbon. It's a transformative point that it takes the identity of the thing becoming also through the nether, these hands, whatever it is, and it makes them as if it's a carbon. And when that happens, it's like Rava's Yisai. Three things which trans- completely transform an item. Number one, consecration, where you make something into a carbon. Number two, chametz, where something becomes chametz on Pesach. And number three, freeing something. All of those things, they remove something from their current lean. So let's first say what the Gemara is saying, and then we'll try to go over Rava's cases. The idea is that when someone has a lien on something, a lien means that even though you're the owner, but I have the lien, which is to a certain degree, maybe some Rishonim say it's a mix us by us, it's a partial degree of ownership. So you're a field, but I have the lien. You know, like I, it's owed to me, it's a debt to me. There's something about it that, that, that I, I, I'm in the back here. You can't just say it's free property. But the Gemara is saying technically though, the other person's the owner, right? You got one person who owns it, one person with the lien. I, there's one way to affect the lien. To, to remove a lien. How can you remove a lien? If you do something which is transformative of, of the chayfetz, you change it what it is completely, and it becomes a complete new item, then the lien just falls away by itself. So what's the classic example? Let's just pick the third one, shikhr. Let's say you have a slave which is designated as a lien to, to a loan. You have a slave, you own a slave. You borrow money and you designate that the slave is the lien on the loan. That if you don't pay back, if you default, then what? They're going to collect from the slave. The slave is a lien. If you go and free the slave, so it's a transformative effect on the slave. He went from being a slave to becoming a free person. What happens to the shibud? Goes away. Because there can't be a shibud on a free person. Now, you're going to say, Hal Gufa, let the fact that there's a shibud stop your emancipation. You're right. If there's a slave right now that there's a shibud on it, if he becomes free, it's transformative on it. Now he's a free man, the shibud's going to fall away. But Hal Gufa, let the fact that the Malva has a shibud stop my, 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 my emancipation. The Territ says that Gufa doesn't work that way. You're undercutting it. You're undercutting. If it becomes free, then yes, that transformative effect will no longer allow the Sheba to be there. Don't tell me that the Sheba, which was there first, stops my ability to make that. No, I'm still the Iker Bailam. And as the Iker Bailam, I'm able to free my slave. I'm the owner of the slave. What are you saying that if that will happen, it will make that now your lien went away, so be it. Now, you might be a mazik, and you might, there might even be damages you have to pay for removing your friend Sheba, but the Sheba will go away. And that's the key to understanding Rabbah. In Rabbah's case is what's happening, the transformative effect, the same thing with Chametz Papasach. If the Jew has Chametz that he designated his lien to a guy to pay back the loan, but it's Chametz Papasach, so it's going to become Asr Bahana. What's that going to do? It's going to be Mafkia the Shibud. Now the lien that he has to the guy will go away. And the same thing with a carbon. If a carbon, if you have an animal which is designated as a lien for somebody, and now you come along and you're Makdash it, you make it a carbon. Again, a third transformative effect, what happens is that the lien goes away by itself. So what does that have to do with us? What's that got to do with us? So the Gemara is saying like this, her hands are her hands. 
the way you should look at it is that it's a lien to her husband. Now you're right, it's a lien, an important lien. She can't sell her handiwork to somebody else while she's married. The husband's got that stronghold of the lien on, on those hands that it's all for him during the marriage. But if she makes a neder, what is a neder? A neder is like a carbon. It's like a carbon. It's a transformative effect on her hands. And she's saying that her hands are now become as if they're a carbon. Through making them as a carbon, it will undercut the Sheba that her husband has and therefore her neder will take effect. The whole reason you're asking that Nether doesn't take effect is low below because it can't make sense because right now it's owed to her husband. Zok the Gemara, it's not true. When you're maktish something, what's actually, when you're making Nether on something, it's as if you're giving it a new transformative status and therefore it could under remove all the lean. So it's actually 100% Bala She's able to make the Nether now and it will take effect. So Frek the Gemara then, wow, okay, you dropped that bombshell, I'll hear this, a new idea, but then Yahi, Lamali Shema Yagar Shana, why did Rabbi Yochamanuri say the reason the husband revokes the nether is because he might divorce her and the nether will take effect by divorce, it could take effect right now. Right? Our whole thing was that Pashas the Nether is not taking effect now. It's only taking effect after divorce. Last Loba Lolam. But now that you're telling me the reason it's taking effect later is because it could take effect now because of this new bombshell that a Nether could, could undercut the Sheba that the husband has. So then we should emphasize that that's the reason the husband should be made for her. The husband should be made for her because the Nether could take effect now. You changed the gears of the Mishnah to say, and furthermore, perhaps he will divorce her. Meaning you're right. It's actually both points together. What we're trying to say is, A, right now, the husband only has a shibud. He doesn't own the hands. The wife owns the hands. The husband has a shibud. So if the wife goes ahead and is maktashit, she could be mafkiyah shibud. And B, he might divorce her. What do we mean? And B, he might divorce her. What are we explaining? So the Ron gives a little bit more explanation. He says like this. And even if you're going to counter that maybe the rabbis made the husband's lean stronger than an ordinary lean, meaning that's the way you're supposed to understand it. A regular lean, we've learned, if you do a transformative effect to it, the lean goes away. And so here you would say, everything's good. The, the, the wife can make the neder, it will be mafkia, the sheba, the lean that her husband has right now, the neder will take effect. If you're going to counter, sucked around. That's the way you learn the Gemara. And maybe it's a super lean. The rabbi's power that they gave to the husband is stronger than a regular lean. The right he has to use his wife's Handiwork is more than a lean, it's more, it's stronger, it's a super lean in the extent that like we view the usage as directly being his. On that we add, and furthermore, he might divorce her. So, and that point, as we struggled, isn't that low below them? So the point is that those two variables to go together. That's the idea. If, if right now, really, she's the owner and she's making a transformative effect, and it's really Mafkiya the Shiva. And if you're gonna counter that maybe that the husband Sheba is stronger than a regular Sheba and I'm not sure if she could be Mafkiyat. So then we'll throw in that also might happen after the divorce. So it's like a little bit of an afterthought, the divorce point. The essential point is that when she's mocked, it could be Mafkiyat from the husband Sheba. Our point is that even if you say it's a super Sheba, but it's a super Sheba that could go away. Therefore what? Therefore Saif Kol Saif, what's the point? Is that when she's making the neder, she could really undercut her cousin and Sheba now, and that's why we've answered a problem of lobal olam. It actually isn't, and it actually is in existence right now. Okay, we go weiter. We finish up the daf here. What about their mistakes? Somebody's wife made a neder, but he actually thought it was his daughter. He wasn't. He didn't really know what was going on. A guy's married, and he also has a daughter. You can be made for your wife's daughter. You can be made for your, your daughter's daughter. So. Then it's discovered, whoops, wrong, wrong, wrong person. 
or the opposite. He thought it was his daughter, and then he was told that, um, I'm sorry, it was really his daughter, but he thought it was his wife. Or such a Nazir, such a carbon. Let's say his wife or daughter made a, a vow to become a Nazir, but they th- but he thought it was a vow about a carbon. So again, a mistake was made in his afar or zakama. Nazir, the opposite. She made a vow about a carbon, and he thought that she had been made a vow about a Nazir. Or let's say it's a, a very just innocuous, simple mistake. He thought it was about, uh, she made a nether about figs. He thought it was about grapes. The opposite, she made the vow about grapes and he thought it was about figs. In all these cases, he has to go back and be made for the nether well. Again, meaning we're saying any afar, which was based on a mistake, was based on mistaken information, is not valid. If you want it to be, if you want to make sure that the hafar stands, you got to do it again. Now, it's interesting. Remember, we learned about 24-hour time limit. So what happens if you're made for it? You only discover the mistake after 24 hours. So we're showing him explain. It's as if there was never a shmi of the nether. It's as if you never heard of the nether. Because you didn't hear about it if you didn't have all the information. So the idea that we're saying is when you hear about it, you need to make another hafar. And we'll see right away. But just for, for see this one phrase and we'll stop. Lamema, this tells us the Yani Osa Dafko, the language of the Pasuk, Yani Osa, he restrains her. That's the language of the Torah used by Alfara. So it doesn't just say he should be made for it. It says Yani Osa, he restrains her. So because the Pasuk says Osa, because he uses the word her, it's telling us that the Afara is valid only if you know about the identity of the vower. That's the point that we're saying. So you have to know the circumstance. You also have to know who. You're going to say, what's the difference? No, sometimes it makes a difference. So we're saying that comes based upon the Pasuk. You've got to be clear about not only what was said, but who, was, who said it as well. And again, that comes from the language of Yani Osa. We'll discuss this more tomorrow.